0: Yes. I didn't hear what happened. Okay. Yeah, we should pray for that for sure. I didn't even know about that. It was too busy this morning down here, so. Um, I don't know any of the details. God knows the details, and I'm sure you guys can look it up. But um, let's pray. All right, Lord, when uh,
1: man, when we hear about these things, God, we just long for your return even more for that time, Lord, when you're going to rule and reign upon this earth, and there's no longer going to be these kinds of evil things taking place. But while we wait, Lord, we know that um, these things
0: are part of the world that we live in as a result of the sin of man. But God, you're bigger than our sin. You prove that on the cross. And we're grateful for the hope that we have in you. We're grateful for the relationship
1: that we have with you so we can come before you this morning and intervene and intercede for these families who are suffering right now. This one officer has been shot and killed. And the others that have been injured. And Lord, we know that this is dear to Toby's heart, and he has um, more of a personal connection to this from his own past. But Lord, we, as a body, grieve. our study of the book of Exodus, if you're new here or visiting, um, uh, on Sunday mornings we go, uh, we study verse by verse, called expository teaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through an entire book of the Bible, and and that way we're not um, cherry picking different verses to just kind of make something up as we go along, and keeping God's word in context is a safe thing to do, um, Then 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 you're not left with my interpretation or any other man's interpretation of God's word. We're just letting God's Word stand and speak for itself. And truly and, um, really our desire is, is that you would know God's Word, all of it, because God's Word is going to talk about at the end of our study. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has alone the power to change our lives, our hearts, our minds, to direct us, to lead us, to guide us, and to, to, to keep us on that safe path as we follow after the Lord. And really that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about in um this uh, chapter now. Um, one of the things that I know about God's word, and I've had conversations with others and some of you about this, is that God's word, even though it deals and speaks about every single issue of, of that that is that is applicable to our lives, there's nothing that goes in our lives or comes into our lives that God's word does not deal with or speak to or lead us on or direct us in. Nothing. But lots of times, what we see is that it's not always. We're not always dealing with in our lives um, black and white issues, right? So is, is, it, is, it, is it all right to, to have a drink? Some people, it's no. For other people, it's yes, but God deals with it in his word. And he says simply this, don't be drunk, right? There's a clear guideline in that. But there's, there's a, a leeway by which you might follow the Lord individually as he leads you in that area of your life. And I just use that as, a, as, a, as, a, as an example because that can be a controversial one. I mean, that could go into the type of music that you listen to, the kind of movies that you may watch, food that you eat, right? All of these different things that, that are, are, are clearly not thus saith the Lord kind of things. But yet God speaks to them and directs us, and he gives us this room in this new life that we have with him to operate within as we follow him. And what may be right for one person doesn't necessarily mean it's right for other. And I'm not speaking about moral relativism and, and what the world speaks about today because that's just a bunch of fooies. But what I am speaking about is, is, is being led by the Holy Spirit with the freedom that we have in Christ. And even in those areas of freedom that we have, the Bible gives us some very clear guidelines on how to live our lives and what that looks like and how to be in the place that God wants us to be, even as we live free. And and we're going to talk about what that really looks like. I was going to ask my, dollar, my, my um, daughter, uh, I didn't know for sure if I was going to say this, but I'm going to use this as an example. So hopefully I have your permission, Molly. Later, we can, you can get on to me. But my daughter, she's awesome. I love her. She just turned 18 in the beginning of this month. Yeah. And... Um, of course, when you turn 18, you're now what? An adult. That's right. And and being an adult, uh, there there comes at least being 18. Sometimes it comes with this idea of that now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> well, my my daughter is very respectful, and she's a, a good a good daughter. And but every once in a while, since she's turned 18, she does this in kind of a joking way. When she knows that I'm going to say no to something that she's asking, she's all, "Well, you do know that I'm now 18." And and so we had this discussion the other day at our table, and we were talking just about this idea of being free, or being our own person. And and what I had the 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 um, awesome privilege of doing was just re- just talking to her, and it was a reminder for me. And really, that's what I want to I want to talk to you about. But what I had an awesome opportunity to do was be able to talk to her about that just because you're 18 and soon become an adult doesn't mean that you're, 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 you are your own person. Now, we are individuals, right? And we're not like everybody else, not own person in that sense, but your own person in that we're never without accountability. And even while Molly's living in my home, she's still accountable to me and her mother, Right? And, and that's the way that God set it up. It's a covering. It's an authority. There's a there's a way for that. Now, she has all kinds of freedoms that she didn't have before that now she's turned 18. But as she still lives in my home, she's still under the umbrella of of, of that accountability to me as her father and to her mother. And then I went on to explain to her, and this is really, really get to hit home for me and where we're going at in this study, is, is that even when she moves out on her own and is able to provide for herself, and, and, and while she's single and waiting for God to provide a husband for her, she's still ultimately always under that accountability and that authority of the Lord. She's still not her own. And we are not our own, are we? We're the Lord. And that's really what we're looking at as we go through this next part of this chapter and we read as God's preparing the nation of Israel for this new beginning that he's given them. Remember, they've been delivered out of Egypt. God's given in this new beginning. In, in, in this new beginning, it's a life of freedom, right? And God's called us to a life of freedom as well. But there's some guidelines. There's some key things in our lives that we have to, to, to put in in order to remain in that place of safety, in that place of blessing that God desires for us. And so last week... As we read and studied through the first ten verses of this chapter, we learned a lot about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what the whole first part of this chapter is about. And how God, specifically, how God had commanded his people to keep that seven-day feast as a reminder to them of what
0: he had done for them by delivering them out of Egypt. But we also saw how God had given specific commands,
1: specific commands regarding the keeping of the feast in order to prepare them For this new beginning,
0: to prepare them for this new life, a new life of freedom that he had delivered them to. Now, follow me here for just a second. President Dwight D.
1: Eisenhower, at his first inaugural address on January 20th,
0: 1953, he said this, history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. And obviously he was speaking to secular things, but that, those, those words also
1: apply to us this morning, I believe, in regard to the spiritual freedoms the Lord has given us. History does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. And considering, as you guys probably all well know, considering that President Eisenhower was also a five-star general, who served during World War II and helped lead the the allies to victory. I think it's safe to say that he knew a thing or two about the high cost of victory as well as the responsibilities of freedom that come with it. And with responsibility, there's accountability. And in regards to the freedom, and in regards to freedom as as, as it looks and applies, I think, to our lives, not only spiritually, but also as living as, free people in the United States of America as, as 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 so as in regards to freedom it was the British novelist also he was a pastor of a church in England but, but there's a British novelist, Charles
0: Kingsley, who said this there are two freedoms. The false where man is free to do what he likes and the true where a man is free to do what he ought.
1: And when we look at history or the history overall of the nation of Israel, as we continue to read their their historical accounts and and read about what God did in them and through them, what we see in regards to the nation of Israel is that they struggled with both of these freedoms, right, the true and the false. Just like we as the people of God, who also have been delivered from bondage and delivered into a new life of freedom, also struggle with the freedom that we've been given. The freedom to do what we like and the freedom to do what we ought to do. So, as we consider these things and study out the rest of this chapter, we need to understand, guys, that a true mark of spiritual maturity, a true mark of spiritual maturity is realizing that that the freedom that has been purchased for us is a tool to build with, not, not not a toy to play with. And that freedom involves accepting the responsibility that's been given or that comes with it. And as we consider Israel's exodus experience, the total exodus experience, and these things that God was now saying to them and the things that God would do for them in this chapter, we ultimately see that God was teaching them that their future success their future, as, as in regards to a life of freedom, that their future success really hinged on three important responsibilities. This is what we're going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, the first is this consecrating of themselves to Him. That was the first thing, a first key in regards to navigating through this freedom or living in this place of freedom. Secondly, it was it was the second key is in regards to following after Him being consecrated to Him, but also it's about following after Him. And then lastly, which we'll look at next week when we get to chapter 14, that we see that there's a third important responsibility that we must employ or, or take advantage of, and it's, it's, it's trusting in Him. Trusting in Him. So, I'm going to pray, and then we'll read
0: beginning in chapter 13, verse 11. Let's pray. Lord. Father, um, we are grateful for for what you have freed us from, what you've delivered us out
1: from, God, and as we look back on this last year, Lord, we, we have this tendency, I think, also to reflect back on our lives as a whole. Sometimes we look back and we see things that are of disappointment, things that are regret, and where we look forward, Lord, with A hopeful expectation that we won't um, do those same things again that uh, cause disappointment or bring regret. But Lord, even as we live our lives today, this life that you've given to us, a life of freedom, a life of blessing, Lord, we know that we're in need of you. And so as we see, God, how you prepared the children of Israel for their lives, with the inheritance in the promised land and this life of um, you being their um, God and they being um, your people, the same as it is for us. I pray, God, that we would um, learn from them, that we would see these keys, Lord, as they are useful to navigating us through the life that you've given us to live. We would see the importance of it, Lord, and not leave from this building this morning unchanged. Lord, may we not leave from having come before your presence
0: and into your word, Lord, without being a doer of it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys,
1: verse 11, it says this, And and it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your father, and, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So, verse 14, it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? that you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons
0: I am
1: it shall be as a sign on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of the Then it came to pass, verse 17, when, the, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, or some of your translations may say, although that was the shortest or quickest route, for God said, let Lest, perhaps, the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. Not always the funnest route to go, right? By the way of the wilderness. Of the Red Sea, it says. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Dan, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed, Joseph had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and Camp and Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and by night. And He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And last verse is really encouraging. God did not take it away. And we know that, that when, we, when we look back on on the history of the nation of Israel and the 40 years of wandering that they did until they were finally let in, and no fault of the Lord, of course, but because of their unbelief, we know that it took that long. But we see that, that, that God never forsook them. In the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their complaining, in the midst of their, all these things that these, these knuckleheads did, like us, Bunch of knuckleheads, that God never took his presence away from him. You know, that's so important to remember because, you know what, God's a keeper of his promises. And the promises that God's made to us are also unconditional promises, meaning that God said, I'm going to do this. And God made these promises to the nation of Israel, and God has made many similar promises to you and to me. Now, guys, as we look Look at this command, this first command, these words, these continuations of these, these, these preparatory or, or these words that God's given in preparation for His people and the life that He was calling them to and the life that He was leading them into. As we look at this second command, it said every one of the firstborn um apart to Him. We need to remember verse 2. We need to remember verse 2, um, where God first said this, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, both man and beast. And that's similar to what we read a little later on that we read in verse 11, but we see something different in verse 2, and it's these three little words. And God says this is the reason why.
0: He says, because it is mine. It is mine. And, and this is important to look at as we continue
1: on through this second command, because even though these commands regarding the firstborn. Uh, clearly we see here they they were to be a sign, a memorial, a a, a remembrance or a reminder of what God had done to bring them out of Egypt. They were also to remind the Hebrew people that they, and we talked about this a little bit last week, just briefly, that they as a people and as individuals as well as all that they had belonged to the Lord who clearly said, consecrate it because it is mine, is mine. And the significance of the Passover lamb that had been sacrificed while they were still in Egypt, what is brought back up here in regards to this this, uh, command regarding the firstborn, it, 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 it testified to the fact that their deliverance, that their freedom that it would bring to them, was also redemptive, right? Meaning something that had been purchased for them. And so God said in verse 11, look there with me, that once He had brought them in and had given them the land that had prom- promised to their, 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 their fathers, that every firstborn male animal
0: had to be sacrificed as an offering to the Lord. And that every firstborn male child, according to verse 13,
1: also had to be redeemed, literally bought back, purchased back, with a sacrifice that was offered in place of that firstborn son. And because this command it's interesting to see this, but because this command would not take effect until they had come into the promised land
0: we should realize that God was pointing ultimately to a way of thinking a state of mind okay, one
1: that I would say we're called to possess as well. A way of thinking, a state of mind that his people needed to have that they must have as they lived as free people. So in commanding the Hebrew people to consecrate both man and beast to him, God was really establishing ownership, was he not? I think more specifically, he was establishing lordship. Which in turn made them accountable to him. In other words, God had freed his people not so that they could do whatever they liked, but so that they would do whatever was right. And this was a key, this was the first key to their future success. Because doing whatever was right meant doing what God would ask. Doing whatever was right meant doing what God would ask. And it would mean keeping God's commands. Which, by the way, since we know the history of Israel, that, that God's commands, God law, would be given to them very shortly at Mount Sinai. We see the preparation before this. Leaning up to this. And, and even though these sacrifices and these offerings directly applied to the Hebrew people, guys, they clearly have spiritual meaning to us today, spiritual significance to us today, us who make up the church. And when we see this, we see this as we look and consider the fact that Jesus, which we've talked about many times up to this point, that Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? And that by His sacrifice, we've also been delivered from bondage and have been delivered into a new life, a life of freedom. Because by Jesus' sacrifice, we know that we've been redeemed. The Bible says that we've been purchased by God who paid the sin debt that we owed with the blood of His only begotten Son. And this is what we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. As many other places in the Bible reiterate this, but in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 7, it tells us this by saying this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and in accordance
0: to the riches of his grace. Now, the Apostle Paul, he also writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter
1: 5, verse 21. And he adds a little bit to it, and he goes on and he says this. For he, meaning God the Father, made him who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, the Son, to be sin for us, listen,
0: so that we might become the righteousness of God. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. And
1: I point this out, I point to this particular verse as a passage of confirmation because it reminds us that because of Jesus, we, have, we today, we
0: positionally occupy a unique, in precious position before God. And because of that position that we now
1: have before God, God, when He looks at us, He no longer sees what we once were, but He sees what
0: we are becoming. He sees us as those who have been consecrated. He sees us as those who have been set apart,
1: consecrated to Him, as those who are aware of the fact that He is
0: our Lord. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our, we're His servants. And, and because of this, we're accountable
1: to Him. And we've been set free like the Israelites to do what is right.
0: Become the righteousness of God in Him. To do what is right and free to no longer do whatever we like.
1: And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, these things are summed up by the Apostle Paul who also
0: said, You, my brothers, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Now, in addition to being
1: consecrated to the Lord, that first key in order to, to, to live, if you will, successfully in that place of that life of freedom that God's called us to, in addition to being consecrated to the Lord, we see in the remaining verses of this chapter as God stops talking and begins, to, to, to move or to, to to take his people, we see that another key to Israel's future success was this following after the Lord. You know, you've heard me say before, and I'm gonna say it again: that Christianity is not a self-improvement course.
0: It's not about just getting better. It's not about just doing the right thing. Christianity is about Jesus. Period. And following after the Lord. Being in relationship with God is a
1: key to this life that He's called us to live. And the fact of the matter is, is Israel's exodus from Egypt was not the end of their experience with God. God just didn't save us and say, Okay and God just didn't deliver to the Israel people and said, The promised land's that direction. I hope you find it. I mentioned that last week. It was it was it was the the the, the Exodus experience, the whole thing, it was the new beginning. The new beginning of what? The new beginning of this relationship that God was calling into that would be
0: consecrated on Mount Sinai. And if God's people would obey His will and follow after Him, they would be brought into the Promised Land and it would be given to them as an inheritance. Sadly, Following after the Lord was also something that the Hebrew people historically did not do very well, did they?
1: And we know that in regards to entering the promised land, something that should have taken just a few short weeks ultimately ended up taking 40 years.
0: Because of what? They wouldn't follow. Because of unbelief, it says. They would not follow. And because this
1: generation who who, who, who was, who had been delivered out of Egypt because they ultimately refused to follow God into the promised land. They never inherited the blessing. A whole generation. Never inherited the blessing. Nevertheless, what we see here is that the promises of God remained. God never left them. God never forsake, forsook them. His presence was always there before them. And the promises of God remain for this next generation. And 40 years later, Moses would be there. We will see him standing on the border of the promised land, and he'll be reminding a second generation of Hebrew people of what God had done, saying to them in the book
0: of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verses 37 and 38, saying this, The Lord has brought you out of Egypt to bring you in, to give you the land as an inheritance. And guys, this very same thing can be said of the redemption that we've found in Jesus. The very same thing can
1: be said about us in regards to that redemption that we have found or have received in Jesus. In that, God has brought us out of bondage in order that He might bring us
0: into blessing, into that relationship with Him, to that place where we're following after Him. However, like the Hebrew
1: people, we must obey God's will and follow after Him if we're to receive all that God has for us. There's so many people, so many Christians, so many believers,
0: we miss out on the fullness of what God has for us because we refuse to follow. So trusting in Jesus, guys, and receiving a new life is just the beginning. Just the beginning considering that God has set us free and then leads us through life, this life, one day at a time. And so in
1: that freedom that God has purchased for us, we are free to follow Him. Second key to managing or navigating through this life that
0: God has given to us. And God does this, He does this in order that we might know Him better. Relationship, walking by His side going where He goes, experiencing all that He has for us. He does it so that we might know Him better.
1: Furthermore, He does this for us so that we might claim by faith everything that He wants us to
0: have. Furthermore, as we daily follow after God, you know what? We come to know ourselves better. We come to know ourselves better. We discover not only our strength, but our weaknesses. And in doing so, we grow in understanding of
1: God's will and trust in His promises. Because ultimately, God doesn't leave us where we're at. He doesn't shine a mirror before us and say, Ooh, look what you look like today. Without coming into our lives as we follow after Him and
0: changing us and renewing us, sanctifying us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the fact of the matter is, is obeying God's will and following
1: after Him. I don't know about you, but it's important because I've come to find out that this life is
0: unpredictable. I mean, this life is constantly pulling the rug out from underneath of our feet. Leading us down paths that that, that, that will end
1: up in the place of destruction. A path that seems safe. A path
0: that seems right.
1: And this life is unpredictable, guys, but nothing, nothing takes our God by surprise. Nothing. Nothing takes Him by surprise.
0: And furthermore, He always plans the best way for His people to go. But the fact of the matter is, is we're not always, we may not always understand the way He chooses. So we might not always agree with it.
1: But his ways are always the right way. And I point this out in light of Israel following after God, because if you look here in this next section of Scripture, in verses 17 and 18, we're told that when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of
0: the land of the Philistines. And even though it was the shorter route, he did not take them by the land of
1: the Philistines. Now, we know that Israel's final destination was the land of Canaan, but their immediate destination was Mount Sinai. And in leading his people to Mount Sinai, we're told that that this longer route that God took them on was also by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. I won't jump too far ahead, but ultimately they would end up there on the shores of the Red Sea, and they would be what? Trapped. Apparently trapped. Between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And this was the path that God had taken them on.
0: And from a, a human's point of view, we might go, I'm not, not sure you know what you're doing here, God. This
1: is a long way. This is a, this is a difficult way through the wilderness to a place where we're going to be, and I know they didn't know that then, but we know it, to a place where ultimately it appeared like they were trapped. And a place that would end in their
0: demise from a human perspective. And even though, you guys, there's no complaints on the behalf of the Hebrew people, We
1: know enough about them, as we read on, is that they were pretty good at this whole complaining thing. And so, so even though there was no complaint at this point that's recorded anyway, by the Hebrew people or the leaders regarding this route that God had taken them on, I suspect that there were many who were at least questioning this route that they were on. After all, why take a group of people? Remember, those who were numbering at this point, somewhere around two million, that's that's no small undertaking. I mean, it's not like it's just you and two or three guys, you know, that are just going to climb over the top of this mountain or, or go around and come to this, this place to end up where that is. two million people. And it's not just all healthy, strong, young men. This included women and children as well as those who were elderly. And, 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 and the path that God had put them on, what God is saying here,
0: is path. And from the, 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 the indication here, it was probably a difficult path.
1: And in this instance, we're not left to guess the reason why, considering God said at the end of verse 17, that he had ultimately chosen a longer way through the wilderness because crossing into the land of the Philistines would have been an invitation for war. And God knew his people, he knew what was best, and he knew that a conflict at this time would have caused people to
0: change their minds and to go back to Egypt. I mean, they, they'll, they'll, they'll do that very same thing,
1: change their minds and whine about wanting to go back to Egypt for even something less.
0: But God not only knew the path, He knew His people. And He knew what was best. And the point is, is God knew what He was doing.
1: He knew what He was doing when He chose the longer and more deserted way through the wilderness. And in going this way, God was ultimately looking out for His people. So the things that we need to remember for ourselves. Because when we consider our own following after God and the path that He is traveling on, which are longer, often, and less direct way to travel than perhaps those around us or perhaps in a way that we would want to go, the truth is, is we can be tempted. Can we not? Be tempted to doubt God. Be tempted to doubt God. Be tempted to lean on our own understanding of things and ultimately go in a way that seems right to us. Yet in Proverbs, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-8, through eight, it warns against this, saying, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all of your ways, and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be, here's the promise,
0: health to your flesh and strength to your body. But during those times when the
1: path that God has us on seems to be
0: unnecessarily long, Lord,
1: or the indirect way, we need to remember that God knows what He's doing. We need to trust and follow after Him. We need to remember, and this is another thing, we need to remember, guys, that God's not in a hurry. When God knows the way to
0: go, and He's got us on that path, Often it's not, it's, it, it, it can be at times not in the, the,
1: the, the, the speed that we would like, right? Not just in the way that we like, but
0: maybe not perhaps in the time frame that we like. The guy's not in a hurry. His will will come to pass. We're not going to miss out on the good things that God has for us. And as long as we follow after him, we will
1: get to that place, we will live the life that we've been called to live, and, and, and while remaining in,
0: this, in the place of his safety and in the place of his blessing. Now, in addition to planning for the route, that's what God was
1: doing in, 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 in as his people followed him. God, God planned the route. And in addition to planning the route for his people, we'll also see that God encouraged his people. He encouraged specifically their faith along the way. He built up their faith. He encouraged their faith along the way. And as we read through the upcoming chapters, as the journey progresses, we'll see that God did this in many different ways, in many different times. There was the manna and the water from the rock and, 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 and the, 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 the uh, quail, the, all the meat that he gave to me, all of these things that God would do along the way to encourage their faith, often in supernatural ways. But God also did it in a very practical way. From the very beginning, and, and we see this in verse 19. Considering verse 19 tells us it tells us that Moses had taken the bones of Joseph with Joseph when he, when with him when he left Egypt. And when we consider this, we see that God was encouraging their faith to follow after them, very from the very beginning, and with every step they took thereafter. Because in verse 19, or in verse
0: 19, it tells us that Moses had taken Joseph's bones with them because of what Joseph had done. Joseph had made his people swear an oath and promised to take his bones with them to the promised land. When God delivered Israel from Egypt. And the point is is, is that Joseph
1: knew that God would keep his promise. Right? Joseph knew this. He wouldn't have had him swear to this unless he knew it was going to happen. Joseph knew that God would keep his promise
0: to rescue
1: and to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. But guys, Joseph also knew that he belonged in the land of of Canaan with his people, a land that had been promised to his forefathers. And if God was therefore faithful to deliver them out of Egypt, God would also be faithful to take them into the promised land and give them the inheritance. And for us, as 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 the children of Israel were looking back to what God had done, they could look forward to what God said He could do. And we have the same thing in the cross. If God's willing to do this for you, why would He not do this for you? Because whatever this is, Now that you're facing that God said He would do for you and is encouraging you in your faith, all you need to look back to is the greatest thing that God could have ever done for you. And doing it, redeeming us and delivering us out. And if He's delivered us out, He will deliver us in.
0: And so the Hebrew people made this journey with Joseph's coffin, leading the way, and in doing so, it bore witness to the faithfulness of God.
1: And the Hebrew people could look with expectation to what God was going to do and be encouraged as to remember God's past faithfulness. His faithfulness to deliver them out of Egypt, just like Joseph had foretold of, but also of God's past faithfulness to Joseph himself. Joseph was an icon, a character. You know, he was like a superhero probably to the, to the Hebrew people. They knew his story. They were familiar with it, and you and I do too as well. We just got done studying through the book of Genesis and, and reading about the life of Joseph. But remember, God had cared for
0: Joseph during all of his trials. And he delivered Joseph at a specific time and for a divine purpose.
1: And in doing so, you know, Joseph was raised up to be the second in charge, the most second, one of the most powerful and prominent people in all of Egypt. So, This as well, this memory of how God had faithfully cared for Joseph would also have been an encouragement to the faith of the children of Israel as his coffin was led before them as they followed God into the promised land and then also trusted God to care for them. And we may not have a Joseph, but we all have these figurative Josephs in our lives, in our past lives, where we go, you know what, God did that for me. God cared for me here. He saw me through that. He did a work in this. He didn't let me down when that happened. It's the same thing. It's an encouragement to our faith. And so in following after God, we see that God always plans for the best route.
0: He does. He always plans for the best route. He considers things that we don't consider. He, he, he considers us in the equation. And He always encouraged our faith along the way.
1: So lastly, and lastly, in the remaining two verses of this chapter, in verses 21, in 22, we're shown that God also goes before his people to lead the way.
0: God plans the route. He encourages our faith as we follow him. But he always goes before his people to lead the way. And in regards to the nation of Israel, this was a, a supernatural occurrence we read. As
1: God guided them, it says in, in these two verses, with a, with a pillar of cloud by day that became a pillar of fire by night so that they could go by day, and so that they could go by night. And this pillar, if you look over to verse four, chapter 14, it's specifically identified in chapter 14, verse 9, as the angel of God, or an angel, the angel of God, who went before the nation
0: to lead them. And as we read on about the nation's journey in the weeks to follow, we'll see that as they followed this pillar,
1: that, that God would even speak out from it that he would speak out from it to Moses. And, 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 and the pillar of clouds, it, it, it served a practical purpose it would shield the people from the hot sun as they journeyed through the wilderness day by day. And at night it became a pillar of fire that gave them light. But more importantly, we see that whenever this pillar moved, guys, whenever this pillar moved, the camp moved. The people moved. Whenever the,
0: whenever the pillar moved, the camp moved, and whenever the the, 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 the pillar stops, the camp stops. And, and, and it was that simple. And we don't have to complicate
1: this relationship that God's called us to in navigating this freedom that He's given to us. Because you know what? When
0: He goes, we should go. And when He stops, we should, we should stop. And I know that plays into many
1: different avenues and other kinds of circumstances and specificnesses of it. But if you keep that at the core of it, you're going to be all right. We're going to be okay.
0: Now, even though we don't have the same kind of visible guidance today, and I know you guys are probably like, well, just give me the pillar, God. You know? Could you at least give me a text on my cell phone every once in a while? Stop! We don't have the same kind of visible guidance today. We do have an equally supernatural gift that's been given to us from God that serves the same purpose. A gift by which God
1: goes before us. A supernatural gift by which which God goes before us and
0: leads us today. And it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's our pillar. And according to Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, The Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But more importantly, Ephesians chapter 1,
1: verses 15 to 23, I'll paraphrase it, but it tells us this, it tells us that God's people, that we are enlightened by the Word of God as it literally drives out the
0: darkness from our hearts and from our minds. And this is further revealed in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, which says this all scripture is God breathed God speaks to us from the cloud, from the pillar. It's God breathed And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Verse seventeen, so that the man of God may be. Thoroughly, completely equipped for every business. Step a few and again want to come back up. Guys, I'm going to end with this. The point is, the point is for us, is just like God would speak to Moses from the pillar, so does the Lord speak with us today through scripture. And I know sometimes it can be difficult to understand, but God's even made that
1: available to us. He makes Scripture clear to us, and, and it tells us that this is the job of
0: the Holy Spirit. We're not to discern them on our own. It's the job of the Holy Spirit, who, according to John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13, it says, "The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of truth, who guides us, who leads us." by teaching us God's Word. So, when there are those times when we aren't sure which way God wants us to go,
1: we can rest assured that if we wait on Him, He will eventually guide us in His perfect timing and in accordance to His his will. And and when it comes to this new life, this new life of freedom that God has saved us to, that God has, has delivered us into, that God has freed
0: us, 2, freed us to do what is right, freed us to do what we ought, we must be consecrated to Him. We must follow after Him as He provides the path and as He leads to Let's pray.
1: Lord, we trust God that You want to do that for us. We trust, God, that you have done that for us and will continue to do that for us. And so again this morning, Lord, we, with this new year ahead of us, we consecrate our lives to you. We recognize your lordship over us that we have been redeemed, bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus, which is more precious, God, than than gold and silver, than any other thing.
0: Because of that, Lord, we're yours. And you don't demand that You don't impose that, but you invite us into that kind of relationship. And we're
1: thankful, God, that you have done that, that our love is a free will choice, and that your love for us is is never-ending. So, Lord, if we are here this morning, we find ourselves in that place where we just need a new start with this new year and remembering that you've given us a new beginning, I pray, God, that we would take that,
0: Opportunity this morning that you're laying before us. That we acknowledge you and accept you as our Lord. And stop doing things the way that we like. That's Jesus name. So you guys stand and worship the Lord again?